This is the Urban Political, the podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. Glad you're joining us today. My name is Markus Kipp, and I'll be hosting this episode. Chile despertó. Chile woke up is a key slogan of the ongoing uprisings in Chile that began in the capital Santiago in October 2019. Since then, heavy confrontations happened with the regime of President Piñera deploying the army and installing curfews in an attempt to quell the unrest. Although the protests have disappeared from the title pages of most international media outlets by now, the protests are ongoing and a new wave of protests is lying in wait. Over the past four months, human rights organizations have counted 35 people dying in the context of these protests and more than 400 people severely wounded. Chile is counted among one of the most unequal countries in Latin America and has a remarkable history of political contestation. In this episode, I have the chance to talk to Asun Candina, a historian, and Daniel Opaso, an architect, both living in Santiago and working there at the Universidad de Chile. Asun and Daniel describe the movement for us, focus on the urban dimension of the uprising, and point to its historical trajectory. To begin with, Daniel, I would be interested to hear how this current round of protests came into being in October. Well, back in October, the uprising began, at least in, in, in the view of the media, with a, a protest mainly from, from secondary, from high school and, and university students about a race in the metro ticket, in the subway, you know, the, the, the subway fare. However, and, and this is a phrase that caught many people's attention, and it's pretty, you know, um, it goes to the point, I think, uh, quickly it, it spread around saying, the saying was that it's not 30 pesos, which was the, the amount of, the, of this, uh, you know, the race in the subway fare. It's not 30 pesos, it's 30 years, you know, alluding to the period between 1990 and the present, you know, the, the democracy after the dictatorship and how neoliberal policies had basically, you know, shaped uh, contemporary Chilean society and how now people were reacting to that um, because of the accumulation over the years of, uh, you know, stress on the working class. So, in, in a way, all the, all the demands which were, in a way, disconnected, now, uh, you know, people began focusing on changing the system. After 30 years, many people realized it was about the system as a whole. A lot of people, especially the political class uh, and some of the upper classes in Chile, say, well, this, this was a big surprise. We didn't see it coming. Mm, kind yeah. of, no lo vimos <laughs> venir. Kind of, it's the phrase in Spanish. We didn't see it coming. This is a complete surprise. And uh, This is a mobilization of young people. It's a chaotic situation. Uh, there is no leadership. We don't know what's going to happen in this country now. Kind of, Uh, and I don't really think it's that way, because as historian uh, and as historian of the recent history of Latin America and Chile, we can see that in this century, especially from the year uh, 2004 and 2005, we have various and several mobilizations as 
Daniel put it, claro. Uh, the secondary or high school students, the university students, the all the social movements, especially the feminist mo movement, was a very big year last year and in 2018. So we can see that this mobilization now from October to now, it's part of a very long change of recent mobilizations. And, and they have a very, I, I say, or I would say complex and deep uh, reflection and critical reflection about our recent history in the past 30 or 40 years, starting with the, the, gov the socialist government of the Unidad Popular with Salvador Allende, the coup d'etat, and, and after that, the dictatorship of Pinochet and a very critical view of the governments of the Concertación of Partidos por la Democracia, uh, meaning the transitional process in Chile. So that vision that this happened one day to the other, that was the, the very big riot, a national riot, especially in the cities, uh, I think it's not true. Uh, I think it, it's a way to try to present it like uh, a very, I don't know, dangerous phenomena who has nothing to do with the majority of the people in this country, and it's not. Uh, if you go further of the TV or the cable of some people in the social nets and you go to the streets in Chile, and you go to the asambleas and cabildos, who are kind of democracy meetings from the people in the neighborhoods. You were asking about the cities. I think this, this has been uh, the continuum, for using the Latin word, a continuum of a social movement that has been in the streets, has been in, has been in the streets artistically and politically for a very long time now. Chile woke up, so elaborate a little bit for me on this. It's, it's, it's basically saying that the population finally woke up, up after 30 years of oppression. Basically, I, I would say that the, the, the waking up has more to do with... Um, I mean, there's, there's, there was another saying, which it's a little long, but I will try to translate it to you, because I think it, it supplements this idea of Chile waking up. Some, uh, someone wrote in a, some wall, said, before we were fine, but it was a lie. Now we're not fine, but it's okay, because now it's true. You know? So this normality basically was shattered by the, the people realizing that, you know, this system is basically screwing us all. So um, the, the, this waking up, it's a it's a very subtle oppression. It's like I think I'm not a sociologist, but I would say that it's like it's like a uh, you know Foucauldian textbook phenomenon in the way that you know you're not like every day being beaten up by the police in the streets, which has happened in a in a daily basis these last four months, but it was a, a slow and subtle oppression by by means of you know, you being a, a, a small piece of a, of a very complex uh, and, and, you know, relentless system, you know, like we were in, in a way um, hypnotized by consumption and credit cards and, um, and new 
and you know ever renovating shopping malls and yeah. you know clo uh, gated neighborhoods and stuff and so on and so forth and and even and even that that uh, you know uh, cons consumerism had you know even go deep uh, in lower classes i mean many people in chile are indebted in three times their monthly salary yeah you know because when you think how how low are the salaries in chile, the people have to to go there the people have to go to the banks have to go to the credit cards and and yeah i i agree that the thing is it's not that the chilean people were so happy with the system and one day out of the blue we discovered that we mm. were not happy at all uh, it's just I think that for a very long time there was a major quota of resignation in this country. That's the way it is. Mm. It's not much what we have, well, what we can do or what we could do about it. That was changing in the last decade, and I think this this October um, social uprising. Mm -hmm. We were thinking about the translation of yeah. estallido social. We think a social uprising is good. It's yes. a good translation of that. Uh, in October of the last year, uh, was an accumulation, and 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 I want to emphasize that it was an accumulation of experiences too, of mm. experiences of exploitation, yeah. of repression, but uh, with that, with experiences of organization, of discussion, of reflection of many groups in the Chilean society. I'm not saying that. The majority of Chilean people—it's part of these groups. But I'm saying this: this collective leadership mm, of different groups, mm. student, feminist, uh, working class, neighborhood uh, neighbor leadership, yeah, yeah to uh, trade union leaders too, and with the um, the organizers of this in the good way, not not in the way that Sebastian Piñeri is saying that there is a kind of a secret, very well organized, highly organized yeah, enemy. enemy. Well, uh, that, which is kind of crazy, but I can understand what he is trying to look for that somewhere. Yeah. Mm. There, he's trying to look for somebody, a specific person, a group to blame for yeah, a social uprising, yeah. which is general. Mm. Actually, um, well, I think within this context of Chile waking up, the the you know violent policies of the government have been a major factor I yeah. mean, in, a major in, in making more and more people uh, you know, aware of the, the need to protest, to you know, change mm. the system. So they deployed military in the streets and that didn't happen or hadn't happened in 30 something years. Yeah. I mean, since the dictatorship, they hadn't since been. Since 1984. Yeah, there, there, there wasn't. There hadn't been a curfew in over 30 years, and this president had the bad idea of, you know, of signing a decree to install the curfew. And in during the curfew, which lasted like for 10 days or so, yes, 15 days maybe. Yeah, more than a week. There were huge riots. I mean, people burning, and this is important, I think, for your interest. People burning down pharmacies, supermarkets, uh, other retail stores. I mean, the, the 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 symbol of the system became the retail, you know, branches. And there were many fires. Uh, so 
there was a moment which was very sad in, because there were some people dead in the first days of the yeah. the first weeks of the uprising, and in Congress some uh, you know representatives from the center left. You know they 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 showed yeah, the, por the portraits the of the people who have died, pictures. and the right wing representatives showed pictures of the supermarkets that had, had it been burned. So that was the, the rationale of both groups, you know, and the, the right wing in the government, they were, you know, crying and weeping about the supermarkets. And mm. so that, you know, uh, angered people a lot. Uh, because what happened in the streets in terms of art, of graffiti or street art, and part of the demonstration, the manifestations, all the performances, for some people, it's just delinquency and vandalism. And for the other people, it's a way to expression and it's a way of art. There is uh, an initiative in Instagram called Museo de la Dignidad, Dignity Museum, uh, with hundreds and now thousands of people collaborating, uh, taking pictures of the, all the arts in the streets and are putting in Instagram in a more organized way, you know, and, uh, trying to, to improve the images and everything yeah. and trying to get a, a recording of all, of, of all that's happening and how our cities are changing. And it's very interesting too, all that happened with the monuments and the streets because it's not just destruction. It's, uh. Yeah, have, it has been destruction. It has been yeah. things that are all on the floor destroyed. But there is a lot of monuments, for example, of the Spanish conquerors. In the, in, the, in, the, in the colony, in the colonial period, those statues had been dragged to the statues of the symbols of the originary people, mm. and put it there as an offer, mm. uh, just a, a token, if you would say that, of the change. We, we need justice. Mm. And this is, a, this is a very old fight for us. Mm. Uh, and that happened with the statues too. The status of General Baquedano, which is in the ex Plaza Italia, now Plaza de la Dignidad, the Dignity uh, Square, has been not been destroyed, but it's completely painted and changed as a Mapuche, an indigenous, claro, uh, an indigenous people, and another one. Most media, yeah, um, the coverage has centered, has been centered around what Asun said. Is now called Dignity Square, which is a, a point in the city which traditionally marked the division between East and West, between the affluent neighborhoods and the rest of the city, right? And now that place, in, in, in that's where you know people gathered where when Chile had a a sport uh, success eventually, <laughs> and but now once it, in a blue it, moon, the the, yeah. the the meaning, the signification of that place completely changed into a, a place of uh, political symbolism and uh, of, you know, this new spirit of uh, more just society. So people gather there, do some artistic uh, manifestations, but also resist the police. There's a, a, a group of young people who have uh, taken to uh, resist the police like one block away from this square in order to mm. allow people to manifest to manifest and those are called the first line and that's that's what what has uh, attracted most of the media coverage but 
uh, in the first weeks, in the first month of the uprising, and there were some, as, I, as we told you, some some fires, some you know arson episodes, uh, but those were also in downtown, but mostly I would say in the surroundings of, uh, in, in more peripheral neighborhoods, there were some neighborhoods which, you know, where now there is, there are no pharmacies uh, working or no supermarkets. So many people, I mean, at least me, <laughs> are, I'm, I'm part of them, we, sus we, you know, are suspicious of those fires because when the curfew ended, there yeah. were no more fires. There, I mean, we had supposedly uh, people in their homes because no one could leave home after 10 p.m. And we had the police and the military in the streets. But mysteriously, there were fires all over the city. Yeah. And then when, then when the curfew ended... Supposedly provoked by the protesters exactly. about the bad people who, who were not home. Yeah, the, the radical anarchist mm. bundles or something like that. Yeah. But then, uh, so you had some destruction around the city, which, as, as, we, as I said, ended with the curfew, but, you know, affected, seriously affected some neighborhoods in terms of, you know... Um, the, the possibility of, of acquiring food and you know medicine and stuff, but also around the city, not so much in downtown, uh, people began to gather in squares in, in you know community parks, uh, as as Asun said, in order to organize uh, cabildos, which are you know assemblies, and and in those places people began talking about, well, how to change the system and, and ultimately how to change or why to change our constitution, which in a way has been the, the most, uh, you know, visible result of the protest process, because now we're in, engaged in a, in a sort of institutional process which would lead to a referendum in April uh, in order to approve or reject the possibility of, of writing a new constitution. But in terms of the urban scale, it's interesting that the, the most, you know, the, 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 you know, the higher violence has been uh, concentrated in Dignity Square, but around the city, people have begun organizing at the neighborhood scale. What would you say are these issues that, that link all these uh, different actors together. Is this the issue of demanding or creating a new constitution? Uh, I would like to quote one of the models of the elements of, of this mobilization. Hasta que la dignidad se haga costumbre, until dignity uh, becomes usual. And I think it's a, it's a very good way to see it. This is not a revolutionary movement. There is no group trying to take power here or trying to install some sort of revolution of the 20th century. Uh, uh, there is people uh, trying to live with more dignity, trying to, the, the upper classes and especially the, 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 the richest one, that, that 0, 0, 0 0.1% of the population who owns more than 30 or 40% of, uh, of the wealth in Chile, mm, just in, 
I don't know, give up just a little bit. Mm. So, well, what the... so we, we, we don't have people dying, Garo, waiting for medical attention in, in public hospitals. So we have uh, kids that are not dying in the, the public system uh, for abused children. So we don't have the, the very high rates of, of domestic violence and violence against women. So that's what we want. And part of this, as you said, uh, it's a new constitution, a, a new legal frame that allow us to do some of the change that we need, which are just democratic change and existing almost all the countries in the world, including the capitalistic countries or the capitalist countries. Could you uh, maybe elaborate a little bit on on this uh, urban dimension as you see it? I mean, not to forget that uh, the issue of the transport prices, of course, is uh, is something that relates to a very crucial part of the infrastructure, no? Because, I mean, in this city, in Santiago, um, well, you have a, 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 you know, a way of living where many people have to travel 90 minutes or more from their homes to, to working places. Um, so when they return home at night, they basically you know, kiss goodnight their children, and that would be it. I mean, they, they eat and they go to sleep, and, and the other day they wake up at 6 a.m. in order to get to their work in time, on time. So transportation has been a huge subject because of its poor quality. And right? social inequality. Yes. yes. It's, I mean... It's a yeah. very good example of it's a very good social example inequality. Then you have also um, some neighborhoods. I mean, the city expanded... In the from the 80s on, in horizontally, without uh, any you know planning uh, provisions, yeah. right? I mean, planning was destroyed in Chile and in most Latin American countries during the 80s under military dictatorships, and particularly both economic planning and urban planning. So you have many neighborhoods. I mean, those where people have to travel 90 minutes or more, sometimes it's over two hours. And those, those places don't have adequate services in terms of health, uh, you know, um, childcare, education, um, shopping in terms of, of uh, acquiring uh, medicines, etc., etc. Et the experience of inequality is, is, is a, on a daily basis. You know, you can see it when you when you live in a poor neighborhood. You don't have trees on the streets. You don't have uh, you know a, a a nice square with with uh, you know a playground for children. While in affluent neighborhoods, those are things at hand, and sometimes people don't even use the squares because they have private gardens and, and private lawns, and where the, their children can play. I mean, this sounds a little bit, you know, uh, melodramatic, but it's not that far from reality. So, is it mostly is it uh, mostly those suburbs, those neighborhoods in the outskirts that that have risen up, uh, that have engaged in this movement? Uh, this is this the the areas where the discontent is most clearly articulated? No. No, because this is not just affect the poor people, this affect the middle classes too. This affect the people from poor neighborhoods, but affect peoples in the suburbs too. They affect people of the middle class, I mean teachers, 
um, I mean, clerics too, who has to live in a very distant neighborhood because they can pay the prices. This is a movement of the majority of the people, including middle classes um, and lower classes and, and popular groups against a very, very small group of people who's at the peak of his power and economic and political power. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also, as, as we said before, um, people, I mean, the protest had been, you know, organized in, in city downtown. You know, it's not like like uprisings in the in the in the peripheral in the suburb in the in this you know the border or external outer outer neighborhoods. But it has it is the people who manifest in several places. They people have also manifested in their local you know environment, uh, taken to the you know the the main square of a given neighborhood. But most. Most, most protesting have been have concentrated in downtown. I mean, in in Dignity Square, there have been protests of, of a million people. To what extent um, do the protesters in Chile gain some sort of inspiration from other protests that are currently ongoing in the world? Uh, Hong Kong being one example that we've uh, already covered in one of our episodes. Um, Can you uh, give us some some ideas? I would say, in not of course, um, not saying that there's no relationship at all. But I think uh, people protesting are drawing more inspiration from the former Chilean movements of this century, as Asun also said. The the high school students in 2006, the university students in 2011, the feminist movement in 2018. So those are like, you know, layers or, or you know, yes. geological foundations of this <laughs> Yeah, that's movement, a good way to say way. it, yeah. Strata, geological strata of this movement. Yeah, the, the government is trying to put up to us that all this mobilization has to do with foreign elements, with kids who, I don't know, watch too much TV or spend too much time in the internet. Uh, trying to, to to put it or or, sh or or show this movie like a childish uh, movement, uh, and and they or, usually or led by Venezuela. Or led it, by Venezuela. Oh yes, or led <laughs> by Venezuela or another crazy idea like the K-pop in in South Korea or, or things like that. We are all having fun with that kinds of declarations, um, but uh, no, <laughs> this is a serious movement. Um, and we have our own developments about it. Great. Um, I'd like to hear what you see as the movement's achievements so far, like speaking from the time since October, what, what has been achieved? I think three things. Uh, one, well, one, the this plan or this idea of Sebastián Piñera becoming an international leadership, an international leader, to have a leadership uh, uh, showing Chile as an oasis uh, in Latin America was questioned uh, deeply uh, and probably destroyed. Uh, the questioning of the neoliberal system too. Uh, this, as I said before, this is not the traditional leftist revolution who wants to take the power like the, the I, I don't know, the Soviet revolution, not at all. Uh, 
people who said that it's really out of, it's really out of their minds. Sorry if I say it like that, but yeah, it's a questioning of the neoliberal movement. It's a questioning of how that how this neoliberal system of movement humiliates a lot of people. Uh, that's the first one. Uh, the second one, I said the. Uh, that we're starting a process to have a new constitution, a new legal framework that allow us to do some changes. Uh, and the third thing for me is just my personal opinion uh, that, as Daniel said before, there is a lot of people who are working in this group or this organization and the other, sometimes with not much contact between each other. Uh, and this uh, large mobilization these encounters in the streets, in the squares, uh, um, sometimes confronting repression, and sometimes dancing and talking and, and debating with each other. Uh, I think it's a very good, it's a very good thing for Chilean society, and and I hope it makes us a more compassionate and uh, people, people with more solidarity, uh, who really sees what's happening with the other. Mm. In all those these years of uh, neoliberalism as as a system, uh, I think the time that you you just think, okay, I have to go by myself. I have to, I, I don't know, get a credit card and and, and just take care of my own life. Uh, this this principle uh, has been questioning deeply in in this society. For me, that the that's the three more, the main things or the three more important things about this movement. Yeah. I'm, I feel totally represented by that. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't say it better. So given the enormous price that has been already paid and uh, the enormous amount of energy that has already been spent since since October, how, how do you think the this movement can can keep up the energy to to push its goals well i guess now many people say that you know the movement is you know gathering strength for march because uh, the the referendum is in april so it's very likely that the whole hope from march 1 until april 26 uh, 26 yeah when the referendum will be held There will, be, there will be protests all over Chile because, I mean, we have, the, the movement has, have, have, has had, sorry, some, you know, gains like the constitutional process, but all the, all the, the demands referring to the daily life have not been met or answered by the government. I mean, the, yes. the, the minimum wage is still the same, the pension fund system has not been touched uh, there no there haven't been any announcement on about investment in public education or public health yeah, or and anything all, and they so, already start this campaign their the campaign against the change of the constitution yes so so it's very likely that, that the the social tension will be there and we will have uh, a you know a very you know shaken uh, city and year at least until October, because, yes. because if, the, if in, in April we, we win the, the referendum and, and the, the idea of a, of a new constitution is approved, the, the Constitutional Assembly will be elected in October. So you will probably have protests all, of, all the year. 
True. Yeah, we, you know, we historians, we are very bad predicting the future. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, bad. I think it's worse. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, looking at the present moment as a citizen, uh, not, not as a historian, uh, yes, this movement is, this is still going. It's ongoing. Uh, and, and it has to be a very important moment in March and April with this first votation and then uh, the rest of the year. Hmm? I'm, I don't know, of course, nobody knows, but I, I have that impression. Yeah, March the 8th will be the first huge protest for the International Day of, of, of Working Class Women. Yes. Okay, Asun and uh, Daniel, thank you very much. We'll be watching closely throughout the next couple of months and I wish you best of luck and thank you very much for, for sharing your insights. Thanks to you for listening. For more information, visit our website urbanpolitical.podigy.io. Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter.